Where we're going to pick up is where we left off in our Acts sermon series where Stephen being stoned, but I don't want to start with that part. I want you to get your mind focused on this idea of going to extreme measures for the purpose of growth. You see, when I was finishing up my college years at the University of Mississippi, affectionately known as Ole Miss, one of my best friends there named David was really into bodybuilding, and I don't mean like in an amateur sort of way. David was the real deal. He was a guy about this tall, about this wide, with about 6% body fat. I mean, he was the real deal. David was a part of the bodybuilding club at the University of Mississippi known as Swole. Miss, yeah, you heard me right. Swole miss because they were all swole up. And David is one of those guys who went to these extreme measures to cause his body to grow. He wasn't always this wide. Uh, when we were growing up, David was more like this. And he started on these 10,000 a day calorie diets and he went to really high, high doses of protein, massive, massive weights. He would move around the gym. He was my workout partner and I would be exhausted just moving the weight with David for him to lift. He was absolutely a beast. And about six weeks out from a competition, he would go on this diet that you cannot imagine how stringent it was. Man, removing all these carbs, more protein. I mean, I have never seen a man eat more chicken breast in all my life. And he he could do it, and he would cut down, and actually it paid off for him because all this growth led to him becoming the number two ranked amateur bodybuilder in University of Mississippi back in 1988. He did very well. He, he finished second in his competition. He was only beaten by a guy who actually went on to the professional ranks. And so my buddy David went to these extreme measures to attain a goal or specifically growth. And I share that with you because that's what we're going to be looking at in chaps, uh, Acts chapter 8. When you talk about Acts 8, we see the Lord causing or allowing some extreme things. And we're going to talk about this morning God's causative will, but also His permissive will. There's certain things God directly causes. There's certain things God allows, all of which trying to accomplish a purpose. And here's the purpose this morning I want you to focus on, this idea of growing God's kingdom. Not your universe, not your bank account, not your resume. We get really focused on some good things, but they're not the best things. And so this morning, what we're going to see are some extreme measures God goes to to get you focused on the most important thing. Then we're going to talk about the disconnect for us as American Christians. We're going to talk about a survey that's been done that, that really reflects to you our struggle as American Christians with this idea of prioritizing God's kingdom growth over our very own kingdom growth. And so where we want to conclude today is this, what do we do about it? Well, what do we do about stoning of Stephen, and what do we do about the scattering of all of these Jewish Christians and these Greek-speaking Christians? What do we do about all of them preaching the Word? You're like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, I'm not called to preach. Just hang on, yeah, you actually are. And so we're going to talk about what do we do about those things, this idea, this central theme that we see from Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses, that God will allow or He will cause extreme measures for the purpose of the growth of His kingdom, understanding our focus to be is to be on God's purpose, not our own. And, and so that's where we want to go today. Let's take this theme, this focal thought of God, extreme measures, either causing, allowing, growth being the purpose. What do you and I do about that growth, and are we doing anything about that growth? Do, do you wake up in the morning thinking about the growth of God's kingdom through you? Well, that's what this text challenges us on this morning, that simple principle. So pray with me. Let's get ready to open up the Word together. Father, thank you for giving us a chance to give to you worship. Uh, Lord, I grew up thinking sometimes I went to church because I was supposed to get something, to receive something, and yet, Father, that's not the purpose of attending corporate worship. It is to give not just something, but to give everything. 
Father, our, our praise through song, our praise and our worship of you through expression of faith through prayer, our giving, our sacrificial tithing and offering so that your kingdom growth is shown by our pious activities. But Father, right now, our intellect, the focus of our minds as we study your word to not only just study it just so we can get through the sermon part of our worship time, but Father, so that it will speak to us in such a way that it could change us through your Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray today that you would grant us wisdom, not only to understand, but more importantly, to apply. For Lord, if we understand truth and yet we do nothing with that truth, it becomes useless. Father, let us not be guilty of not taking your truth and doing something that is for your purpose, your glory, your honor, like the growth of your kingdom. Lord, help us see that as your primary cause today. And we will praise you for that wisdom in Christ Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Look at verse 1 with me out of chapter 8. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Okay, that's a pretty simple statement, but it's not simple. Uh, The word agreed is not agreed. It's the word in Greek that means approved, and it implies authority. So Saul approved of the death of Stephen. So so we get this picture of Saul just kind of standing there. He's not doing a whole lot. He's just kind of collecting the outer garments. Uh, That is really not his role. This indicates to us that he had great authority and great power within the Sanhedrin. Remember, the 70 most powerful men in all of Judaism. This was the supreme high court of the Jewish culture. And so what this tells us is that Saul, which is his Jewish name, carried a lot of influence in this Jewish high court. In fact, they would not have stoned Stephen had he not granted his approval. Now, here's the funny thing. I'm not sure how you know approvals are granted when they were acting solely under the rage. Remember that? They had lost all emotional control. The word that was used there meant that all logic had been removed. So they're just acting upon emotion. And anytime we as Christ followers start following emotion only and take intellect out of it, we're in danger every time. Well, this is exactly what had taken place, yet Saul had some authority in this emotional process. Remember, it is illegal. The Jews did not have authority to condemn anybody to death. That's why Jesus went before Pilate, because the Romans had to agree to that. They simply took Stephen outside and began to stone him. There was no appearance before a Roman magistrate. No Roman high court got a chance to rule. They simply determined that Stephen, who was a Hellenistic Jew, a Greek-speaking Jew, so not Jewish by birth, that he has started a brand new religion. Here's the only problem. The Sanhedrin can't punish anybody for an illegal religion. The Roman government did all the time. But they didn't have this authority. And so here Saul stands in his sin. He stands in his rebellion against God and God's messenger. He stands actually in a a place of illegality, not only in Jewish culture and biblical law, but even to Roman Empire law. And we're going to see that he continues that. And so let's continue with this thought of Saul. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Guys, you probably heard this. I did growing up. Man, you choose to follow Jesus. It's all good after that. Did y'all hear what I said? You choose to follow Jesus, it's just, it's just roses and it's peaches and cream from that point forward, right? Shake your head this way. Because if that's the teaching you're getting, that's the wrong church. Because that is not biblical. Notice what it said. Stephen is dragged out, stoned to death illegally by the people who had one job, lead people to God. You do know that's the Sanhedrin's job. They're Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests. Lead people to God. What do they do? They drag God's messenger out and stone him to death. And on that very same day, persecution, so punishment, chasing after, begins for whom? Look at that again. Persecution began for whom? You, the church. This is convenient, easy believism, right? Hey, man, just say I do to Jesus, and it's all great from that point forward. Okay, so let's continue with our story. 
And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Uh, okay, so there's a couple of theories. Like if you're trying to stop a movement, there's two ways to do that. They tried the first one, it didn't work. So they thought, okay, if we kill the leader of the movement, so Jesus, Jesus is the leader of this Christ movement. So if we kill the leader of the movement, then all the followers will become discouraged and they won't do this Jesus thing anymore. How well had that worked out for them so far? <clears throat> Not very well. Stephen is standing before them because he's still preaching Jesus. So they changed their tactic. So instead of going after the leaders of this Christian movement, so these apostles, we're going to leave them alone because that tactic didn't work for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go after all the followers because if we kill, eliminate, imprison all the followers, then it doesn't matter what the leaders are doing. And so now they've left the apostles alone. The apostles are not being harassed. They're not being imprisoned. And yet every follower, it appears, in Jerusalem is now being persecuted. Now remember what Jesus told them back in Acts 2? You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, what came after Jerusalem? Judea and Samaria. Where'd the Bible just say Luke said they were going to be scattered to? Judea and Samaria. Um, are they being scattered in a way that they would have preferred? Jesus, I would just prefer just to go to Judea. You know, like I'm going to get in my little horse and buggy and I'm going to go to Judea. No, no, no. They're going to be persecuted because they have not yet gone. And so Jesus allows the sinful activities of one group of individuals to take his church and put his church where they're supposed to be, that he's told them already they're supposed to go. And because they have not done what they told them they were going to do, now Jesus interrupts their convenience with inconvenience, so they will now go out and start to accomplish their purpose. Please let me tell you, this is a teaching moment, don't miss this. In your place of convenient Christianity, God will reach in and interrupt your convenience so you start to do what you're supposed to do. He will not allow you to rest on your laurels of professing to be a Christ follower, and yet you do nothing for the purpose He has assigned to you. He will interrupt your convenience with inconvenience so you will have to go accomplish your purpose. And so it's just not peaches and cream. There is a work aspect to this. And so all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, the word scattered is diaspero in Greek, and diaspero is a form of farming. I, I, some of you didn't grow up on the farm, and I get it. You don't understand it. My wife didn't grow up on the farm. She doesn't understand. It, it's a word that means to broadcast farm. Anybody know what broadcast farming is in comparison to row cropping? See, in Mississippi, we row crop. We row crop because when we create that channel in between the planted elements, we can keep the grass under control, but it allows us to irrigate, and water will sit in those rows so the, the roots of those plants soak. That's why we row crop in Mississippi. We will go through periods of rain, periods of no rain, so we've got to be able to irrigate. That's not what they did in Palestine. They broadcast farm, which means they, they had this pathway, and as the farmer walked along the hardened pathway, he would take this seed out of his bag and he would just scatter it. There was no pattern to it. There was no rose. There was no control set path. But here's the point I don't want you to miss. Wherever the seed landed, that's where it was planted, and it had one job to do. What was the job of the seed? Grow. Okay, so you find yourself now in the Ozark area. God has planted you. And so you've been planted. Whatever your role is, what are you now supposed to do? Grow. It's real simple. This is not hard. People make this Christianity thing very difficult. It's actually very simple. Children can understand this. They scatter. So what did God do with the church? Because the church was staying conveniently in one location. God said, no, that's not what I told you to do. He scatters them. Now what are they supposed to do? Grow. 
It's real simple. This is easy, easy stuff. And so notice what's taking place. Verse 2, so in contrast to the persecution, in the midst of all the trouble, notice what the true followers of Jesus are doing. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Here's why Luke emphasizes this, in case you don't know. It was illegal, according to Jewish law, for them to bury someone who had been charged with a crime. What had just happened to Stephen? Stephen had just been charged with blasphemy, dragged out and stoned to death. These men are devout. It's the word that that means piousness or righteous acts. Y'all do know that's in agreement with Scripture. James said this, you can claim all the faith you want, but if you don't back it up with your religion, your religious activities, your piousness, your righteous acts, then your faith is actually dead. It's useless. You don't have real faith if you don't have works. These devout men were going at great risk to themselves. You you do understand. It's illegal to bury someone charged with a crime. Stephen's charged with a crime. Yet they are so devoted to following Jesus, they choose to risk their own lives to go and take their friend and bury him. You go, man, really? They did? Yes. And they must have been men of authority. And let me explain to you why. Because, see, to bury Jesus would have been illegal. But do you remember when Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for his body? Joseph of Arimathea was a very political individual. He was very connected, and so they didn't find him guilty of a crime because financially he was benefiting the Jews. These men here must have been political men of clout. And so they went at great risk to themselves. We're going to risk our position. We're going to risk our riches and our wealth and our recognition and our power and our authority, and we're going to go bury this guy that they just stoned to death. Please hear me, you being focused on the growth of Christ's kingdom over your own kingdom will never come conveniently, and it will always come with a cost. There's always a risk involved. We're going to talk about the stands that we as Christians get to take, and it's going to come with a cost. There's always going to be a price that you must be willing to pay if you are devout. Verse 3, all right, so Luke is doing this contrast thing. Paul did this quite often too. So I start out with Saul in persecution. I go to the devout Christian men that are living out their faith right in front of other people. Then I go right back to the difficulty of the church. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. The word ravaging is limeno in Greek. Limeno means to tear flesh from, from prey. I I love documentaries. Y'all know that I'm a nerd when it comes to TV. I love documentaries, war stuff, and I love National Geographic. I love to watch the lions hunt. Drives my wife crazy. She'll walk through the room and she'll turn her head because she can't stand to see the one of eight trillion wildebeest get eaten by the lions. It's their only catch in like a month. They miss all the time. In case y'all don't know that, they miss all the time. And so it's the one animal that gets eaten out the entire month out of eight trillion, and my wife just can't bear to watch it. You know, I'm like, honey, they've got to eat. They don't have Alpo there in the, in the Serengeti, you know. Well, that's this word. Paul is ravaging the church, literally. He, he is tearing the flesh off of. So, so what does it mean, literally? How, how did Luke use this term? Here's how he was damaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Y'all do understand. Please, please hear me. This is illegal. All right, so, so these are supposed to be the religious leaders of all of Judaism, and they're carrying out this illegal activity because, see, they're not punishing them under Jewish law. The only thing they have to charge these people with is starting a brand new religion. Here's the only problem. The only people who persecuted folks for starting a brand new religion were called Romans. These are not Romans. They're Jews. So even under Roman law, they're not supposed to be carrying this stuff out. Everything they're doing is illegal according to the law of their day. And yet they're so enraged at these people who are taking a stand for Jesus, they've decided we're going to do our best to destroy all of them. So they're going, so think about this, you're you're in your home, 
So think about this. You're in your home and some guy shows up and there is no recourse because he represents the high court of your land. So think about this. The Supreme Court sends people to your house. So there's no appeal. They send people to your house. They drag you out of your house. They take all of your possessions. They imprison you, your children, and your spouse. All because they don't like what you do. And they can do it legally, which it's not legal. It's illegal, but they're getting by with it. And so this is our guy Saul. You do know Saul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You want to talk about a life change that's coming for Saul in about two chapters, but at this point, he is still chasing after the church with great hatred and great animosity. Verse 4. So those who were scattered. Okay, so here we go. Broadcast farming, right? Farmer throws you out. Hey, let me ask you something. Does the seed, does the seed ever decide where it gets planted? Now, broadcast farming, right? Wherever the farmer throws you. All right, so they've just been thrown. They're being scattered. Everything in Jerusalem has come undone. It is time to leave. So notice this. Those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. So notice, not the professional clergy. The professional clergy called the apostles were where? Back home. They were still in Jerusalem. But the church, the, the, just church members that just got scattered because of persecution, what are they doing in response? They're preaching. You're like, no, wait a minute. Whoa, Justin, listen. I know you're called to preach. That is not my calling. Oh, it's time out. It actually is. There's two different words for preaching in the New Testament Greek. One is kariso. That's what I'm doing right now. Appointed by the Holy Spirit, Acts 20, 28. You can read it at some other point. Acts 20, 28. Holy Spirit appoints the pastor elder. That's my role. Kariso. This is evangelizo, or where we get the word evangelical from. What is evangelical about? It simply means to tell the good news. So notice what this says. Even though their worlds have just been completely turned upside down, some of their worlds absolutely destroyed, when they scattered out, they wouldn't talk and they didn't tell everybody about their woes back there. What were they telling everybody about? The goodness of Christ. The goodness. Now listen, y'all, this is not super spiritual people. This is not Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith candidates. This is everyday, average, Christ-loving people. And when their worlds got turned upside down, notice they didn't talk about all their woes and become a victim and woe is me and all I want you to do is pat me on the back and let's sit here and do nothing. Yes, there's a time when you need to grieve. There is a time when you need to recover. Yet what you're supposed to do as you're going through all of it is talk about the goodness of Jesus. Guys, listen, I'll tell you. There's a lady in our community, I would not dare call her name because one of her children is one of my good friends here in our church. She doesn't attend our church, but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, anytime I can get her to transfer over, I'm going to take her. Because every time I go into Country Mart, I will see her surrounded about four or five ladies about her age, and you know what she's talking about every time I walk in there? The love of her life. You know who the love of her life is? She does love her husband, but that's not who she's talking about. She's talking about Jesus the only time I don't like it is when she's in the same meat counter I'm in because she and the clerk are going to dialogue about 30 minutes before I get my thin sliced turkey. It's just not going to happen. Because when she gets to talking about Jesus, it is on, y'all. And I, I mean, you do understand, that's preaching. She's literally preaching at Country Mart. Your pastor, I'm usually too busy, so I'm trying to get my loaf bread, my thin sliced turkey, and out the door, right? No, no, not her. She's there for the day. Because she's going to tell anybody who listens about Jesus. You do understand, y'all. We're going to talk about busyness in just a minute. You do understand for the kingdom to grow, it's word of mouth growth. That's always been the plan. God says, and wherever you land, you're to take root 
and you're to start growing the kingdom of God. That is your purpose. And notice they were doing that. Then we're introduced to one of the guys that you were first introduced back in Acts chapter 6. Remember the precursors to deacon? Stephen was one of those. Philip was also one of those seven men. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. Okay, so first of all, this is really misleading. Luke was a doctor, but he didn't study uh, geography very well. Because when you go, da- like, like I live in Missouri now, I go down to Mississippi. You know what that means? Like on a map, it's down. No, no, no. Philip went up to Samaria. I'm not sure why it says he went down to a city in Samaria. Philip is in Jerusalem. He gets scattered. He goes 50 miles north. That's up. That's not down. So so I don't want you to be confused. He goes to Samaria. Why is that a big deal? Why does Luke think he needs to point this out? You do know the Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. Y'all remember that? See, Samaria used to be part of the northern kingdom. This group called the Assyrians came in. They were pagans to the core. They conquered the northern kingdom, gouged out the eyes of the high priests, carted them off into captivity to a place that was called Babylon. The Babylonians took over after that. The Persians came in and were powerful, and they took over after that. So again, long story, but the Assyrians used to be part of the northern kingdom of Israel. But here's what happened. They settled some of those Assyrian people there. The Canaanites moved back in because the Israelite army had been defeated. And guess what happened to the Jews? They were supposed to only marry Jewish people. They started intermarrying all these other people. So all these other Jews down here in the southern kingdom looked at there and saw all these northern kingdom Jews marrying these Assyrians and all these other pagan Canaanites, and they just hated them. I mean, literally. When I tell you hate, this is how much they hated them. When they would go from Jerusalem up into other areas like in Turkey and places where Paul had come from, they would walk completely around Samaria. It would add 150 miles to their journey on foot. They would walk completely around Samaria because they felt like the dust would contaminate them. That's how much they hated these people. And yet, where does Philip go? Right where he knows people need to hear God. Remember? (laughs) You don't get to choose where you get planted. You're just supposed to grow wherever you plant. And so he goes up and he starts telling people that have never heard about Jesus. They have been shown no love by the Jews for years. Verse 6. The crowds were all paying attention. That's really not the word. It's prosecco in Greek. Uh, It means they are so glued in that nothing else catches their attention. 21 years of marriage, um, I've gotten much better. I have now learned to look at my wife and go, do I need to stop this while you're talking? Because used to, she would be just telling me something of great detail, and I missed it because I was watching something on TV, because I was glued in and not hearing it. I, 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 much better, she would tell you, much better now. Now I at least pause it. I haven't cut it off yet, but I do stop it. How long is this going to take? Do I need to cut this off and record it? Or what? You know, so, so again, th- this is, you know, we're getting better. But this word literally means they're glued in. So as Philip is speaking, because God has planted him there, and he's chosen to grow where God's planted him, guess what the response of the people was? Oh, they were glued in. Man, he has got their full attention. They are listening to him because he is carrying out exactly what God would have him to do. What they, what they were glued in, or they gave him his attention to what he said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Uh, here's something I want you to, to also listen to real quick. There's a group of people out there that teach that When the apostles died, the miracles, these apostolic miracles, they called them, ceased to be. That that, that it was only for those apostles to do. You do know the Bible conflicts with that, right? Because remember two chapters earlier, the Bible said Stephen, 
All right, you do understand Stephen was never an apostle. Now Philip, who was not an apostle, both of which were Greek-speaking Christians. They weren't Jewish Christians. They were Greek-speaking. You and I, unless you have Jewish heritage, I've got all kinds of heritage, no Jewish heritage. My sister paid for the DNA tests, we know. And, and so I don't have any Jewish blood in my family. I would be considered a Greek-speaking Christian because there was only two in this time. They're either Hebrew speakers or Greek speakers. That's it. You do understand these two Greek-speaking Christians, Stephen and Philip, who were not apostles, were performing the exact same miracles. Here's what that tells us then. The apostolic miracles weren't apostolic miracles. They were Holy Spirit miracles. And the Holy Spirit, who has not changed in all generation, is still giving out the gifts according to 1 Corinthians 12. So I am not a cessationist. I'm not a person who thinks that all the spiritual gifts stop with the apostles. In fact, here's what 1 Corinthians 12 says like the casting out of demons and the speaking in tongues and the healing and all that, it is still gifted today. But it says to the church, not like to a local church, but to the universal church and according to the Holy Spirit's pleasure. So if the Holy Spirit decided that as you were praying over someone who was sick to heal that person through your prayer, you would probably never even know that that's what took place. The person may be healed because of your prayer of faith mentioned in James 5. And yet you may never know that. Why? Because you receiving the giftedness is not about you feeling good about you. You receiving the spiritual giftedness is about the building up and the growth of the church. And so let me go ahead and issue this morning. Anytime someone is getting the praise and the applause for the healing that they're supposedly doing, that is not of God. Ooh, let me say that one more time because that was kind of quiet. If man is getting the accolades... For something that is supposedly of God, that is not of God. Because the Holy Spirit does not gift based on the accolades of man. The Holy Spirit gifts based on the growth of the church. That's what this whole chapter is about. And so, again, here's how it ended up. Look at verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. The word joy is hara in Greek. It's a beautiful word, beautiful name. C-H-A-R-A. Uh, the, this kind of size, it's an a hara. And, and it means happiness. It means pleasure. It means contentment. It means fulfillment. And so if I were to ask you as a Christ follower, how many of you want to be happy? How many of you want to be content? How many of you want to have hurrah in your life? Almost everybody would go, yeah, me, because some of us, we just love to suffer. Just love it. I don't want any joy, Pastor. I just want to be miserable in Jesus. No, nobody does. We, we want this hurrah. Well, you just read eight verses, and in those seven verses previous to the eighth verse, you see what it takes to have the hurrah. What does it take to have the hurrah? That you will go to great risk to self, great sacrifice to self in order to prioritize what God would have you do as opposed to what you would have you do. That's where the joy comes from. It comes from obedience and seeking after purpose. But let me tell you the disconnect. Let me tell you the disconnect for American Christians. There was a study done, a survey done. It was called the obstacles to growth. And here's what we mean by that. Not like pfft, swole miss growth. Not 